Kids, head to the kids' table. Ages pre-K, four through third grade. And all the other folks in the room turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. And those of you watching online that are in some other room, you do it too. If you don't have a Bible of your own, I haven't said this in a while, reach underneath the, one of the chairs in front of you. Most of them, at least every other one, will have a Bible. You can use that one to, to follow along this morning, and you can take it home with you. It's our gift to you if you don't have one, because we want you to have one. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, Jesus leads. This is only a small portion of our passage for today that uh, you will have learned or studied in, uh, in Connect Group this morning, but we're, we're, we're breaking that out and, and kind of honing in a little bit, uh, homing in on, homing, honing, focusing on, uh, on that little bit this morning. Our memory verse for the quarter Let's see how we can do. Let's see how I can do. That's really the question every Sunday. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him take die himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Yeah, I got the idea, just those are the wrong ones. Uh, Mark 10, Mark 8, 34 through 35. Y'all saw me sneak a look? 10 is where I'm preaching from this morning. All right, I'll do better next week, I promise. I say that every week. Uh, Jesus leads. There's a lot in this passage. Uh, obviously, this is a, uh, a major point in, in Jesus' ministry. It's his third and final prediction in Mark of his death uh, and resurrection. And to get to this point, the, there have been teachings that, that he has shared in chapter 10 that have been extremely difficult for the disciples and those following him. He, he talks about divorce and, and puts it in terms that uh, they are little confused about oh my goodness that's it's not as easy as we thought and there's more to it than that uh, he he moves from there into the acceptance and blessing of children which would have been odd for a rabbi of the day to be that welcoming of of kids and uh, but he is, and, and that kind of blows their mind. Like, wow, this is something different. And then, then he has the rich young ruler, which two weeks ago um, Tom preached on, but from uh, Luke, I believe, is where he preached from. But the same, same story, the, the rich young ruler who uh, had done all the, the, the relational parts of the Ten Commandments, all the don't lie, don't steal, honor your father and mother. I've done all those. Notice that, and Tom, I believe, pointed out, he left out the part about um, have no other gods before you and uh, worship him only, and, and the rich young ruler had a problem with the idol of wealth. 
And, and then Jesus goes on to say how difficult it is for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. And that blew their minds because culturally, if you were rich, God had blessed you. He must like you, therefore you're going to heaven. And Jesus says, no, he's, he's turning everything, which is what Jesus did. He he's turning everything on its ear. He's saying, you have taught and understood what God said in one particular way. And I'm telling you, that was not the way it was intended. And of course, he taught with authority as one who, uh, who knew what to say. These three passages in particular are uh, characterizing discipleship following Jesus. Mark 8, 34 and 35, take up your cross and follow me. What does that look like? Well, it looks like that your, your uh, behaviors within marriage, your uh, behaviors and your relationship with children, with the vulnerable, with, 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 the, with the young, and, and your relationship uh, and your behaviors with possessions, all that's going to change if you follow me, if you are my disciple. And they get to this point, and he's, he's been traveling every, every chapter or so, uh, just basically in length, He's traveling a different place, around Judea to Capernaum. Now he's traveling somewhere else. And at this point, he is going up to Jerusalem. And on this walk, he predicts his death again, third time. And for the third time, they will either completely miss it, miss the point, miss misunderstand or or just ignore it like well he's talking about dying again but you know we're all going to die who knows what was going on in their heads but they just weren't getting what he was saying and then it immediately after that they talk about who can who's going to be the greatest among them like totally miss it i'm going to die good good okay that's fine jesus but can i be most important in your group that's that yeah but tucked away in this prediction, we see Jesus leading the disciples as he leads us today, in the same way that he leads us today. We see that Jesus leads. We're going to work through this passage, phrase by phrase, and we're going to, to see that, that it, it begins with Jesus in the lead, with a purpose, with a with a goal, with the end in sight, and, well, let's see what it says. Our big idea this morning is a long idea, uh, and you'll, you'll understand why in just a minute. It's also probably a run-on sentence. Got a lot of prepositional phrases, but that was on purpose. It probably needed commas, but that would have looked weird on the screen. So, on the path that is set from out in front through astonishment or fear with direction and teaching from his position with God regardless of the suffering because of the purpose for the victory promised, Jesus leads. Now if I asked you, y'all could probably figure out the points of this sermon by where the commas should be. That's why I didn't put the commas in there. I didn't want to give it away. Mark 10, verses 32 through 34. They were on the road. There we go. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. 
Oh, there it is. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and and kill him, and he will rise after three days. This particular uh, prediction of his death has the distinction of of being the most detailed, uh, especially of the three in Mark. Uh, He he gives more information than he has to this point, and um, it's not good. It's not not, not good things you'd want to hear, which is, I'm sure, part of the reason why the disciples sort of glossed over it, just put it to the side. But what do we see here? If Jesus leads, well, it begins with the, the first phrase of our big idea, on the path that is set. I believe that's point number one. There we go. On the path that is set. Jesus has set his face. He has set his eyes to what needs to come next. Jerusalem, the disciples knew, meant trouble. It had been a a trouble all this time. You read the other Gospels. Mark doesn't talk about it maybe quite as much as, say, John does. But they avoid Jerusalem for, for most of the three years of ministry because... Every time he goes to Jerusalem, they try to kill him. They try to kill him in other places too sometimes, but particularly Jerusalem. Yet at this point, at this moment, now that everything is done, the the three years of his ministry are, are up, he sets his eyes to Jerusalem. That's the destination. This is the first in his predictions, uh, the first mention of Jerusalem as the place of Jesus' death. So if the disciples had ears to hear at this time, they would have realized why we hadn't gone to Jerusalem all this time. But wait a minute, and maybe they did catch it a little bit. If we're going to Jerusalem, that means he's, that's that's bad, right guys? That's, is that bad? Somebody may have thought it, but turns out they were arguing about other things at the moment. There was no other path to take. Literally and figuratively, they were other side of the Jordan on the, the Jericho side, and, and there was one road into Jerusalem from Jericho, and you literally went up. You climbed from the Jordan Valley some 3,300 feet in elevation to get up to Jerusalem, but it was also up because it was considered a pilgrimage. When you went up to Jerusalem, you were going up to the city of God, up to the temple, so you always went up. If it just so happened you were somewhere that was higher than Jerusalem. To get there, you still went up because of where you were going. Literally and figuratively, there was no other path for Jesus to take at this point. Jerusalem was the destination, and that's where he needed to be. And Jesus has made it clear throughout his teaching that there, this was why he had come. He was here to die. He predicted it two other times. 
We know that was the whole purpose. The readers of Mark at this point, who have heard the sermons of Peter and now are reading what Mark has written, the, the sermons of Peter put to paper. Sounds like a nursery rhyme. Peter's sermons put to paper. Anyway, um, that's where my brain goes when I'm talking. Y'all don't want it in there. Jesus has made it clear that this is, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm here. Death is my whole reason for being here. That, uh, there's a, a Christmas song, um, and I, I had it, this, the artist's name right there in my head, and, and now it's gone too. Uh, Bebo Norman. Uh, the, the, the chorus talks about this baby born to die. That was the whole purpose. Jesus knew what the Scriptures said. He knew that he was living out at this point, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Well, he's going to be humiliated, but not, not put to shame he, because he's being obedient. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He knows he will not, not fulfill what he was called to do. As Isaiah said, he had, fa- he had set his face like flint. He knew what the path was. On the path that is set, number two, from out in front... Notice what it says, Jesus, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now, this is actually standard rabbinic procedure. That was how the, the rabbi, would, he would walk and the followers would well follow. They didn't set the direction, he did. So this is sort of normal for a, a teacher and his disciples. But there's much more going on here than just r- rabbinic tradition, just the way that we had already done things. He's going to tell them later in, verse, in chapter 14, 28, and in, in verse 16, 7, they're going to be told again that he was going to go ahead of them to Galilee. He's ahead of them now. He will be ahead of them then. In John, he tells them that he goes ahead of them to prepare a place for them. John 14, 3. If I go, I go in front of you to prepare a place for you. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Why? Because Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. He has gone ahead of us. Jesus has been ahead of us the whole time. Jesus has been ahead of the disciples the whole time. He has been leading them. From the beach on the Sea of Galilee when he said, Put down your nets, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they left and followed him, and he set the path. And Jerusalem was the path all along. That was always the point. And Jesus led from out in front. The Savior leads his people with purpose and determination from out front. 
not giving orders from the, the rear. Hey, y'all go do this, and good luck. Watch out, they're going to be shooting at you. No, he is out in front, guiding and leading with purpose and determination. On the path that is set from out in front, through astonishment and fear. Scripture says that the disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. There were two groups here. You had the close disciples, the, the twelve, it'll call them here in just a, a sentence or two. And then you had the crowd still. And, and many of the crowd were probably disciples or, or close followers. They had given up. They were, they were trusting what they understood of Jesus to this point. And of course, some of them weren't. Some of them were just curious. There was a whole sort of group there. The, the disciples, the close ones, were astonished at what was going on. And the, the f- more fringe ones were fearful. They were afraid of what's going on. Now, what caused on the one hand, astonishment, and on the other hand, fear in this group of followers. Well, could it be the fact that for two and a half years, two and three quarter years, two years and 11 months, whatever, Jesus has avoided Jerusalem and and they understand there's danger in going to Jerusalem? Could they have comprehended that? That's, That's certainly possible. They, they were dumb at times, but they weren't stupid. They were, they were deaf and whatever and not paying attention, but occasionally they got it. Could have been that. Could there be that they had some knowledge of the, the ultimate purpose for going there? It's, it's after this astonishment and fear that he pulls the twelve aside and, and teaches them, but he's already said it twice. So maybe some of them in the crowd are, are beginning to put something like two and two together and go, but he said that this, and now we're going to Jerusalem, and we've been, a, that's sure, that would certainly cause astonishment and fear. Could it have been the, the concern and the confusion over the previous teachings? I mean, already he's been talking about taking up a cross, you know, what, what dying and stuff, and and now we can't just divorce our wives for whatever? That stinks. And children matter? Well, that's annoying. And, and what do you mean? What do you mean money isn't God? Because I, that's pretty important. And, and so could they have been astonished? The disciples, they're used to hard teachings. They don't get it, but they're used to it. So they're just, well, one more thing. Oh, my gosh. And, and, the, and the followers, the, 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 the fringier ones, are like, oh, are, do we really want to follow this guy? Is this really what we want? I don't like this. And that translates into fear. Could it have just been the majesty of the presence of Jesus? Transfiguration was just a chapter or so ago. Don't know what that means in time, in, in actual time, but Mark puts it here pretty close. Could they still be astonished by all that? Could they still just be processing? Because Peter, James, and John have probably told something. They not don't tell anybody about the whole Messiah thing, but but how do you keep all that quiet? And of course, the crowd was amazed when he came down anyway. And why were they amazed? Maybe that was it. So just who? 
two years and 11 months, and still, who is this guy? Oh, my gracious. What caused astonishment and fear? Maybe all that. It doesn't say. And we speculate, and it could have been some portion of each one of those in individuals' lives. But what is important to see here is that in the, midst of, in the midst of the astonishment and the fear, in the midst of the, oh my goodness, and oh my goodness, Jesus is right there, still leading, still out in front, still present. Their astonishment and their fear didn't change him. It didn't change the fact that the path was set. It didn't change the fact that he was out in front. What it did do, though, through astonishment and fear, with direction and teaching... He pulls the twelve aside. The twelve have always been on a, uh, existed on a need-to-know basis. And now, Jesus believes, is told by, the, by God, by the Father, they need to know. Again. But this time they need to know more. So he gives more details. It says he, he pulls uh, the twelve aside and he began to tell them the things that would happen. Let's think about this for just a second. Let's just assume, scholars debate whether this is one group, both astonished and fearful, if it's two groups, uh, whatever. If it's, if it's three groups. If you had the disciples, you had the followers, and you had the, the twelve. It's not super clear. I land on the two groups thing, but it doesn't matter really. But let's just assume that, that the twelve, the disciples... In and amongst their astonishment are also just a teensy bit fearful. Because astonishment can very quickly bleed over into fear. And Jesus says, recognizing their fear, recognizing their astonishment, recognizing all the emotions that they're feeling at the moment, he says, y'all come over here, let's talk about this. Are y'all astonished? Yeah. Are y'all fearful? He is, not me. Bless you. Well, here, let me help you with your, your astonishment and your fear. We're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Yeah, Jesus, I don't feel comfort. And that, that really doesn't take the astonishment and the fear out. That sort of makes it, makes it more bigger. That's, that, I, don't, I don't think that... Maybe, did you misunderstand what we meant by astonishment and fear? And he did not. That was the lesson they needed at that moment. It doesn't alleviate fear and confusion and astonishment... If anything, it would increase it, you would think. But then we get to the next passage and you wonder what they actually heard him say. But 
we're not getting into that this morning. So we're scared, we're astonished, I mean, he's scared, I'm astonished, and you're telling me we're going up here just so you can die. And not just die, we're going to get into this, it's going to be a rough death, it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be pretty. Because Jesus knows what they need to be taught. Jesus has come to give us abundant life. We can cast our cares on him, for he cares for us. Multiple, multiple verses about how he comforts, how he, he, he loves on, how he embraces, how he takes pain and fear and confusion. But that wasn't the teaching they needed at this moment. They needed to know in their fear and astonishment that this is what's going to happen when we get there. This is why I'm going. And if they had been putting pieces of this puzzle together throughout the three years, if they had been taking the piece that he gave, this piece here, and and putting them together, and if they'd stopped and looked at the whole picture they had, or at what picture they had at this moment, they probably would have said, Oh! Well, of course, that would have been like an incredible increase in astonishment, but a suitable decrease in fear. He's been planning this the whole time. This is why he's okay, and he's willing to do it. Oh, my heavens. But yes, but they didn't do that. They get this, they're told this big idea of the journey. I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, if I, I would think... Jesus, if, just tell them the rest of the story. Just tell them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise in three days. He tells them that. Um, but here's what's going to happen. When, when this happens, the Holy Spirit's going to come after, you know, I'm going to rise, we're going to do some stuff, I'm going to teach you and things, and for a number of days I'm going to be there, and then, then I'm going to leave, but I'm, you know, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to send you uh, the Holy Spirit. This is, look, all this is going to happen, but you know what? That wasn't what they needed to know right then either, because they, they weren't getting this little bit, they certainly wouldn't have gotten this big bit. And now he says, this is what you need to know. Jesus, that's not what I need to know right now. I need to know the end. I need to know the whole story. And Jesus says, who are you and who am I? I get to tell you what you need to know in this journey. What you need to know is that the path is set. I'm out in front. I get your astonishment and fear. But here is what you need to know, disciples. The big idea, just so you're aware, but you're not ready for all of it yet. He pulls them aside. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. We already know that. The Son of Man. See, he directs and teaches. He sets the path. He stays out front. He, uh, lost my third point, through their astonishment and fear, he directs and teaches from his position with God. Could just as easily have said from his position with God. As God. 
but the term he uses here is son of man. The son of man, he says, will be handed over. The son of man, it is the most common usage, self-identification of Jesus in Mark. Fourteen times he calls himself the son of man. The phrase can mean just a man. Like, I'm a son of man. Jaden's a son of man. Kirk is a son of man. Butch is a son of man. We're, and then we can say, you know, we can go ahead and, and uh, say that uh, Lacey is a daughter of man. It, it just means humanity in many, many places in Scripture. But there are some places where it's pretty obvious it does not mean just a man. Daniel 7.13 says that it, the Son of Man is a transcendent being given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. That's not just a regular old man, is it? The apocryphal book of First Enoch uh, that we don't have in our Bible, but it, they're helpful for understanding some terms in Scripture, refers to a supernatural being, the Son of Man, like five, chap six chapters, something like that, all about the Son of Man. And it was understood to be a supernatural being, or it was understood to be just a regular old man. Jesus here is intentionally ambiguous. He's forcing the hearer to choose, but he never comes out and uses the title of Messiah. Remember, he's told demons and others, don't tell people I'm the Messiah. Oh, Jesus the Messiah, hush up, demon. Mm -mm. Because Messiah was a loaded term that was going to create all sorts of issues that he didn't need. He was creating enough issues anyway. That term was not ready to be used. Son of man, people could say, well, what does he mean? Well, he hadn't said anything exactly Messiah-ish. I mean, he said things, that, but he didn't. So son, maybe he just means this. Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a slippery term is what it is. But those with ears to hear, the readers of Mark, the disciples, they knew when he used the term son of man, no, he's talking about his relationship with the Father. They still didn't get that he was God the second person of the Trinity. They didn't understand that yet, but they were, they were understanding that Jesus taught them he and the Father are one. As God, as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus knows the path, the steps, the destination, the outcome, the purpose, the details, and the answers. Son of Man is a title of the power of God manifested in the person of Jesus. So Jesus sets the path from out front, knowing their astonishment and fear, teaching them and directing them because He is God in the flesh, having all the power of Him at His disposal upon the permission at this point of the Father, the first person in the Trinity. The path is set regardless of the suffering. It doesn't matter what's coming next. 
He knows what's coming next. He tells them, first, going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will say he's worthy of death. He needs to die. But then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. He will be betrayed by his own people. That's the first torture. Betrayal by his own people. The people that he had been promised to. The people that he had come to save. The people that it had existed to get humanity to this point so that the second person of the Trinity could incarnate in flesh among those people. These are the people that knew the prophecies that pointed to him. These are the people that when he was born, Herod said, hey, where's the Messiah going to be born? And they said, oh, that's easy, Bethlehem. And this guy was born in Bethlehem, and then he comes out of Bethlehem, and and they still don't see it. These are the people that should have known all of this stuff, and they are going to take Jesus and see everything he does and says, hey, that's awful. We're going to give you to the Gentiles to kill you. Thanks for coming. It's not mentioned here, but it's implied that that's going to be through a, a farce of a trial. Oh, yeah, we're going, to take, we're going to go to court, wink, wink. Middle of the night, wink, wink. Witnesses that you know, can't get their story straight, wink, wink. He's going to end up saying something. They say, oh, see, see, that's all we need. Rip the clothes. Oh, it's awful. Kill him. Give him the Gentiles. And then he describes what is not a quick, easy death, but prolonged torture. They will mock him. Spit on him, flog him, scourge him is the word some translations say. Again, he knew the prophecies about himself. He knew what Psalm 22, 6 through 8 says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him. The very things the Pharisees are going to say from the foot of the cross. Since he takes pleasure in him. Oh, he knew that psalm. He knew Isaiah 50, verse 6, the verse right before what I read earlier. And it said, I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. At this point, the disciples should be not astonished, not fearful. They should be crushed by what they're learning their teacher, their rabbi, will have to go through. Jesus knew everything was coming. Finally tells the disciples it's time for them to know. Knows everything that's coming, and yet he never abandoned the path. If we read on in in the other Gospels, we come to the garden, we see that when the mob showed up to take him, he tells them, do what you want with me, but let them go. Let my disciples go. Jesus still out front. Jesus still leading. 
and protecting. The path was never abandoned, though he knew the suffering. Because of the purpose. Because of the purpose. Emma? Thank you. He came to die, and dying is what he would do. And nothing was going to steer him from that. Without his death, it would be a, a pointless trip to earth. You're like, eh, nice, some, some nice sightseeing, but pff, seen it all before. I mean, I made it. But no, he came to die, and that was what he was going to do. There was a very specific reason for the path. A specific reason for the suffering, or a reason for the betrayal, it all led to the cross. He needed to go through those things, because that is the way that God had set it up. That was the purpose. And he would not abandon the purpose. Oh, in his flesh, he wanted to. He hurt. His body hurt. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He stubbed his toe. He did all the things. And he knew that he would not, as the second person of the Trinity, get to go through the, the beatings, the whippings, the cross, as if nothing was happening to him, that he would be immune to the pain. No, he knew he would feel every bit of it. Not only did he know he would feel every bit of the physical pain of the cross, every bit of the uh, physical pain of the steps to death, but on the cross he would feel, feel the spiritual pain of carrying the sins of the entire world on his back, on his shoulders. He would know the emotional pain of seeing all of his disciples, except for one hanging out right there but not really saying much, all of his disciples gone. He would know the, the spiritual pain of knowing Father, why have you forsaken me? And he would not abandon the purpose. He'd pray in the garden, if there is any other way, let there be another way. But when... On the third time, he got his answer that there's no other way. He did not abandon the purpose. And he didn't abandon the purpose for the victory promised. It was going to be a hard road. It was going to be difficult doesn't capture it. But Jesus knew the end. Jesus knew the victory. Jesus knew what was coming. He, he, knew, he knew the 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 rest of the story. Thank you, Paul. What's your name? Harvey, thank you. He knew all of that. It did not make the pain less painful, the suffering more enjoyable, but it gave it purpose. Mothers know a little of that from childbirth. It's 
great to hold that baby. How sweet to hold a newborn baby. To see the warmth and joy it gives, right? That because he lives. It's great. Does that make pain, uh, childbirth less painful? Not that I've seen. Never experienced it. But doesn't look like it's fun. Jesus was not about getting out of the stuff, getting out of the suffering, because he knew the victory at the end. He knew that resurrection was he on the other side of that. He knew that victory over sin and death was on the other side of that. He knew that his purpose for even coming to begin with would be fulfilled on the other side of that. He knew that salvation would be won on, for, for, you, for you and for me on the other side of that. He knew that he would regain heaven, regain his throne, regain his spot. The what he gave up for a while, he would get back if he would just go through with the path. He knew that the victory that was promised was worth the purpose that was worth the suffering and the pain than the path that had been set that he continued to walk and lead his disciples through. He knew that on the other side of this, he would get to gather his people home with him. On the path that is set from out in front through astonishment or fear with direction and teaching from his position with God regardless of the suffering because of the purpose for the victory promised Jesus leads. Jesus leads. He's out in front of us right now. On the path that is set, God plans and knows the future He knows our path. He knows my path. He knows your path. He knows the path of this church. He knows what he has set in its future. He knows the path is set. And he leads us from out front. Jesus is with us. And he allows only what he wants to allow. And that's it. And nothing else. A few years back, we went to... Uh, Durango, we, we like to go there in the, in the winter um, to see snow because, you know, we don't have it here. And, and this particular year, we uh, went up on the, uh, on the, in the pass between Durango and Silverton, and we stopped. There were some, some uh, what would be meadows in the summer. I don't know what you call them when there's snow on them. Maybe they're still meadows. Uh, I don't live there, so I don't know. And we went traipsing around in the snow, and we got into some pretty... Some pretty deep snow. And most of the time it would pack down and, and you could sort of, you know, uh, knee-high it through the snow. But there were a few times where we got down to waist deep. And, and we weren't wearing waterproof outside clothes. It, so it was, it was a mess. But what we ended up doing was we got pretty deep in and, and, and we had to get out. And the littles were little. They were seven, eight years old. So, you know, they were smaller than they are now. And, and they would follow in my path. I got to be the snowplow. I'm sure it had nothing to do with my size. Wasn't a comment on that at all. Um, and they followed in the path behind me. 
I, I broke the snow, uh, I, I, I made the path, and they came along and where I pushed down. And sometimes, literally, where I had put my feet, they were trying to put their feet. That experience goes back even further with me because of, I've, I've used the analogy of hunting with my uh, grandfather, Big Dad, a number of times. And we did a lot of rabbit hunting, and, and rabbit hunting it, it involves thickets, briar thickets. And we didn't do a whole lot. He had gotten to the point where he didn't care too much to just go plow off through the thicket. But occasionally we would have to, and I would follow him. Because he'd take all the briars, he'd take all the, the scrapes, and, and push through and create a path. And, and, and that is the image, both of those, of what Jesus is doing with us now. Jesus is out in front and if a briar hits us in the face, it's because Jesus needed that briar to hit us in the face. And if we look around and we say, but Jesus, that path looks easier, or this way looks better, or wait, why are you sitting here telling me about how to build a house, or how to structure my life as com uh, when it comes to my finances, when I'm just trying to get the, the briar thorns pulled out of my arm, right, the teaching he says, this is what you need to know in this situation. How does that help my situation? You, you, Michael, it's not about your situation, is it? It's about me teaching you. Boy, you're paying attention right now, aren't you? All the briars around you and you're kind of in a bad spot. You're listening, aren't you? From out front, through my astonishment and fear, but the briars and the problems and the, and the wet and the cold and the the. the, 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 the the, the, uh, the, the shame and the, the hurt and the, the, the tax and the slander and, and all these things. Jesus, I need something more than you're going to die on a cross. And he says, no. It's exactly what you need to know. Through my astonishment and fear with direction and teaching from his position with God. The creator of the universe cares about me. The creator of the universe cares about you. And he is leading and teaching you through whatever you're going through. And me through whatever I'm going through. And us through whatever we are going through. On the path that is set from out front through astonishment and fear with direction and teaching. From his position with God regardless of the suffering. Yes, it hurts to follow Jesus' path. It hurt Jesus to follow Jesus' path. And why do we think the servant will be any better off than the master? That sounds like something Jesus would say. Because he did. I didn't make it up. Why do we think our path's going to be easier? It's broken for us. It's, it, is, it is clear to us. The briars still hurt. The littles were still soaked on the other side of those snowdrifts. They just knew where to go. Still a hard path for them. But it was necessary to get out of the other side. The briars, the water, the, the, the wet, the flogging, the mocking, the hitting, the spitting, the cross was all necessary because of the purpose whatever your path 
is, whatever path you are on, it is all for the purpose. This path is for your good. This path is for your sanctification. The briars teach. The wet and cold teach. What do they teach? I don't know. It teaches me not to like briars or wet and cold. But if Jesus is taking us through those places, then he is teaching us in those places. Because he set the path, he's out front, he knows our astonishment and fear, he knows uh, that we need direction and teaching, and from his position with God, regardless of the suffering, he turns and says, this is the purpose. But Jesus, the purpose doesn't exactly make sense to me. And that is okay. I don't know what the end is to your path, to my path, to our path. But I know the purpose is to make me more like Jesus, to make you more like Jesus, to make our church more like Jesus because of the purpose for the victory promised. We don't know the end, but we know that all things, what things? Wow. What things? All things, all things, every the things, each of the things, not most of the things, not some of the things, but all of the things work for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. If we are in his path, then everything that happens to us is for our good. The briars, the wet, the cold, the floggings, the mockings, the spitting, the cross, all of it is for our good. Doesn't make it easy. But that's what it is. Jesus leads. On the path that is set from out front in front through astonishment and fear with direction and teaching from his position with God regardless of the suffering because of the purpose for the victory promised Jesus leads. Follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Him, because Jesus leads. Maybe you need to follow him today for the first time. You've never followed Jesus. You've never trusted him as Savior. You've never confessed your sins, admitted your sinfulness, admitted your inability. Try walking through a briar patch. That'll teach you some inability. You've never said to Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Jesus, save me. You're aware of the gift. You know that it's there. You, you've, you know the, the words, that you know the path. You've seen it on the screen. You know all about it. But you've never accepted it. You've never received it. doesn't matter what you are given if you never receive it and make it yours. And some of you have not. You've heard it. You, you acknowledge it. Oh, yes, that's right. That is what I believe. You can believe it and never receive it. You can believe that the gift I wrapped you is for you, but until you take it, unwrap it, and make it yours at home, you have not received the gift. You can believe salvation is for you, but until you take it, receive it, internalize it, and trust Jesus as your personal Savior, you will never experience it. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift, the offered gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you receive that gift today? Will you take it? Trust him and follow him, allowing Jesus to lead. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have put your son out front. He's walked all of our paths in, in, in this great, divine, eternal, omniscient situation that you exist in and and the trinity exists in jesus has walked all of our paths somehow he has experienced our temptations he's experienced our pains he's experienced everything we will experience in life if not the actual event the 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 results the emotions the hurts all of the the parts of it and lord we we are following someone who who knows our griefs, is acquainted with our griefs, knows our suffering. And that one that we follow says to others, come and follow me. And I will give you life abundant. Beyond what we can comprehend. Exceedingly great life of carrying our cross. Jesus, may we follow where you lead as individuals and as a church. Regardless of the suffering, knowing you're out front and because our purpose is to make disciples And the end is victory. Lord Jesus, lead us. Amen. So you have a next step to take this morning. You need to take up your cross and leave your life and follow him. You need to be baptized or you need to submit to God, his purpose in your life, conform your life to his. Follow him, really follow him, believer. Maybe you need to join our church, and you want to make that public this morning, your decision to join us. You can share your decision with us on a connection card. You can message us online. We're going to take a few minutes of of prayer and uh, worship. At this time, if you would like, you can come and pray with me. I'll be down here to the front on my right. Chelsea will be over on the left. We have three men along the back that would love to pray with you as well. Come for one-on-one prayer. Come for silent prayer. Move your body as your spirit is also moved. This is also your time to worship with us in, in giving. And there's a, bar, a, a QR code if you want to give online or the connection boxes in the uh, connection boxes, the offering boxes in the back if you want to write a check and drop that in there. This is also a time of worship to do that because giving is worship. Whatever your need at this moment, whatever God is telling you to do, take these few moments as we sing to do that. Let's stand, let's worship, and do business with him this morning.